For life to work right, relationships need to work right. It's the way God made us. God has gone to great lengths to relate to us, so we have potential to build incredible relationships with one another. Gaining God's perspective will give us greater purpose, bring peace in the midst of conflict, and help us to restore relationships. God made us to be relatable. Hey, Mountain. Good to see everybody. Welcome to everybody at uh, all of our campuses. Welcome if you're joining us online. I know a lot of people kind of uh, interact with us for the very first time in that way. And it's also a great way. Streaming a service online is a great tool for us, like as we're traveling in the summer. So um, my family did that last week. We joined in a service from a hotel room in, in Memphis. So it, it's pretty cool. Welcome wherever you're, wherever you're joining us from. Uh, I'm Nathan, one of the pastors. And we're just going to dive right in. We're in this relatable series, and it's all about relationships. And uh, we began just talking about how when Jesus was asked, what's the kind of the most important commandment? What does it all boil down to? He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And uh, we talked the first week about that relationship with God. And then he said, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then we, we spent a week talking about actually loving yourself and what does that mean and seeing yourself the way God sees you. And the rest of this series, we're going to talk about what is encompassed in, the, in that word neighbor and all the other relationships in our lives. And we're going to begin with talking about relationships with our family, right? Um, so this is a huge deal. Uh, it, if you asked me, just me personally, what other, you know, kind of under the larger umbrella of life and faith and that kind of thing, what is the one thing you spend the most time thinking about, worrying about, praying about, dreaming and scheming about? My answer would be family. Um, what even is a family, right? We got to define the term to begin with. And I think, I think family is one of those things where if you asked any of us, we'd say, yeah, I know what a family is. And then you say, okay, tell me, we would, uh, you may struggle actually to put it into words more than you think you would. And as we were do, to do that, I think the variety in the definitions would be, would be huge. Even just in the dictionary, I looked in the Merriam-Webster dictionary and it said, here's some of the definitions of, of family. Uh, number one, it said those who live under one roof. So if you live together, is that what makes family? Uh, the second definition though, said a group of persons who share a common ancestry. So that's already pretty different, right? Um, a lot of people included in that definition that don't live under my roof. And often actually people who live under the same roof have different ancestries. So uh, the third definition is those who are united by certain convictions. So maybe to be a family means to believe the same things. I don't know. The fourth one the fourth definition had to do with common characteristics. And this actually extends beyond people to things and like plants and animals and that kind of thing. And uh, maybe that's what makes a family. I don't know, to be alike. Um, and then there was uh, one final definition, which said a unit of a crime syndicate. So maybe what makes us a family is when we commit crimes together. I don't know. It's hard to come by like one nice, neat little definition for what a family is. And I've been thinking about this, like I said, I think about this a lot. I've been thinking about even more than usual preparing for this message and 
uh, as my family's been traveling the last couple of weeks, we were at a conference and then we did some vacation. And I've just been pondering, what does it mean to be part of a family? I was thinking about what does it mean to be part of the human family, right? Just, we got to go to the, we were in Memphis, like I said, and um, got to go to the National Civil Rights Museum. And it was a powerful, moving, thought-provoking experience. And I was just thinking about what does it mean that we're all you know, children of God, to be a part of the human family. I've been thinking, you know, we had Memorial Day and then I had a friend in town. We went down to Fort McHenry uh, one day and then all the way kind of up through the 4th of July, um, you know, I ate food and blew stuff up like, like any good American. But I was also thinking kind of on a deeper level, like what does it mean to be a nation? What, what, of, what about all this bloodshed and all this sacrifice and all this courage and all the things that have gone into this you know, this national family that we're a part of. What does it mean uh, to be a part of the family of God? Like we were in Kansas City for this conference and uh, got to go to one of these Legoland discovery centers and I was missing you guys. I made the mountain logo out of Legos. Isn't that cool? <laughs> and uh, they did not ask me to become a master builder. I'm still waiting on that call, but like, what does it mean to be a church family? My friend, John, I was a couple weeks ago with him at the funeral home. His mother passed away. And so many of you, so many mountain folks uh, were coming through the door and just loving him. And um, he said, I was introducing people to my family. And then I would say, well, this, is, this one's part of my church family. And he was like, I just got tired of saying church family. And I just started saying family because that's what they are. It's just, it's just family to me. That's what he said. And then to be a part of uh, the Big C church family, to get outside of what we're doing here locally and be a part of bigger things going on. The reason we were in Kansas City was for this annual gathering called the North American Christian Convention. And many, many of you may not even know, Mountain is a part of this, this tradition called the Stone Campbell Movement or the Restoration Movement. And every year there's a gathering of kind of a bunch of Christian churches and churches of Christ and uh, affiliated, you know, mission organizations and universities and seminaries and that kind of thing. And, and we talk about it as like, this is the gathering of our tribe. This is a family reunion and great things happen in the organized and the unorganized parts of that. And so what does it mean to be a part of something like that? What about extended family? Um, those friends that are like family, you know, we all have, when people, when we get really close with different friends, we sort of say, you know, they're, they're more like family, Right. And I, lately I've seen this word, uh, family, like hashtag family. And I love it because it's like friends who are, are, are more like family. And we got to spend some time last week with some of those people in our life. And it just fills our tank to do that. Uh, just being just real and really relaxing and, and just laughing together. And then of course there's our extended family, our, our kinfolk, our blood relations, right? Here's a picture of the McDade a McDade gathering circa 92. And I think they'll zoom in. There's a 12 year old me right there. It's my bro. So uh, that, that crew has grown and they're actually a bunch of them are getting together this weekend. And, and uh, I'm not there and I miss them. You know, what does it mean to be a part of an extended family with aunts and uncles and cousins and nieces and nephews and parents and grandparents and all that. So, and then of course my immediate family, right? I have, I have my wife and my two daughters and there's the four of us. And what does it mean for us to be a family and what are our traditions and what are the boundaries around that? When do we need to guard our time for just us? When do we throw the doors open and, and welcome others in? And there's so many layers and levels to family and it can be 
an, an overwhelming thing to think about sometimes, and, and it's definitely an important thing for all of us to think about for a lot of reasons. One, I think it's just relevant for everyone. We, we try to make sure the things we're talking and preaching about are, are relevant for every person. Well, this one definitely touches all of us because it's a part of all of our stories. We all came into the world through a womb, right? Th- through a, your mother's body. You're connected. We're connected to each other in this way that's designed by God. We are uh, we exist in an intimate relationship with other people, whether we want to or not. And we have issues that come with that, right? One, one way that you could define family, and I've heard it defined, is family is the people you're stuck with. <laughs> family is the people that you can't get rid of them, whether you want to or not, right? And that's, there's some truth to that. We, and it's important, too, because we all long for it. We all instinctively long for and desire a healthy version of family. You know, acceptance and connection and love and caring and commitment, that's, that's hardwired in us. If you pay attention in your life, I think you'll start to notice how often people talk about family. It's everywhere. Um, just like if you're on social media, pay attention to all the time that people use hashtags like tribe, squad, you know, fam, or people say things like, you know, these are my people, right? Because we want to be a part of something like that. And it's just, family is super important in our lives. It it gets spoken about in in extremes. It's sort of the, the worst thing or the best thing. It's like the source of our greatest pain or the source of our greatest joy or both sometimes. And even family gets lifted up uh, as like the, the greatest and most important thing quite often, almost sort of uh, idealized and worshiped as an idol sometimes. Family first, you know, family over everything. You hear that stuff a lot. And it's just super important that we look at this from a biblical perspective and, and see what the Bible and the teachings of Jesus have to say. As we do that, a couple of notes. One, I think you might find that the Bible does not necessarily say exactly what a lot of us grew up being taught. Um, in some ways, it, it, maybe it does, but just, I think uh, this can happen on any topic, but particularly in this one, there's often some other philosophies and some cultural messages and some things that get infused in there. And we need to make sure, again, on every topic, that we're always going back to what, what does God's word really actually say and not say about this. And one of the things that I don't think the Bible actually says, it, it does not say family first, family over everything. It says something different which we're gonna talk about. Also think if you're gonna approach the Bible looking for the perfect family, the perfect example to follow, you will be disappointed. There, there isn't one, right? Every family in the Bible is challenged and messed up in some ways. And this is actually really good news for us, right? I mean, raise your hand if you are a part of that perfect family that has no issues. Yeah, I hope, uh, yeah. If you raise your hand, you're lying or delusional. So, you know, even the family of Jesus, and we're talking about it in a second. I, I was talking to a pastor, counselor, friend who part of a big church like this, and over years, he worked with hundreds of families and thousands of people. And he, one time he was just, we were talking about this stuff, and he said, you know, if you said how many families with really good and just really, really strong, healthy dynamics did I ever work with? He said, two was two. And it wasn't being overly negative or critical. It's just, and even those families, by the way, had their issues because they say that, that dysfunctional family is a redundant term. And I think that's true. I think that's true. 
Even the family of Jesus, like I said, um, he had, you know, Matthew and Luke both start out by just giving us these genealogies of Jesus and, and kind of go through some of his lineage. And part of the reason for that is to show us, like, there's some dysfunction here. There's, uh, this is not some perfect kind of thing um, that, he, that, that was the family so, uh, of God. In the Bible, it, even in the life of Jesus, I wanted to say I discovered some images that accidentally got left out of the Bible. Uh, I got to show you all these. Uh, so imagine if you're a parent who's ever tried to get a kid to take a bath that didn't want to take a bath, imagine what Mary and Joseph had to go through with baby Jesus. He's, she's like, get in the water. That's pretty funny. Then Jesus got a little older and uh, it started getting competitive, you know, and some of y'all put those honor sticker, bumper stickers on your car. So here's our son's an honor student, our son's in medical school. Mary's like, our son is God, so top that. Then Jesus got older. He's just trying to do his job. And people are like, you know, he only got this job because of who his dad is, you know. (laughs) But it's really true. I think Jesus did have family stresses and temptations and drama in his life. Even we'll see with his own mother, with Mary, this great hero of our faith. And so as I was thinking about kind of what to deliver to you guys today. What's the thing I can give you? I, I'm going to disappoint you if you're looking for like a, a pithy saying that you can go tweet that just sort of sums it all up. And I'm certainly not going to give you three easy steps to the perfect family life. Instead, I want to offer you something a little messier, but a little more real. I'm going to offer you a tension. I remember learning early in ministry that sometimes there are problems to be solved and we seek out a solution. But a lot of other times, there are tensions to be managed, and you just kind of have to hold them and live with them. And I think when we look at the topic of family and and we look at the life of Jesus, it's more of one of those kind of situations. Let me me explain what I'm talking about. So on the one side of things, we have uh, the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you, right? Um, Jesus was a faithful Jewish man, okay? And he honored, he honored this commandment his whole life, right? We believe he lived a, a life without sinning, so he would have honored this commandment. Now, when he was 12 years old, uh, there was a story about they, the whole tribe, the whole larger family went to Jerusalem, and then they left to go back home, and uh, he got left behind by accident, Right? And he's 12 years old, and they, they come all the way back. They find him in the temple. They're like, where were you? And he's like, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? And it sounds like, like I don't know, bordering on a little smart aleck answer there. But no, we, because we know that he honored his father and mother, and he actually was just like, oh, yeah, this, of course this is where I would be. And it was kind of more his parents' fault. They lost their kid, okay? So um, then Jesus... He's, uh, he's 30 years old now. He's, he's launching his ministry and they're at this wedding and he's not, he's not ready. He's not planning on doing anything. He's just hanging out at the wedding and his mother, Mary is there and they run out of wine and Mary's like, oh, it's okay. Talk to my son. He'll fix this. And Jesus is like, no, 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 not, not yet. Not, I wasn't planning on. She's like, no, 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 it'll be fine. Just do what he says. And he's like, mom, you know, but he, he does it. Like he, he calls an audible, he honors his mother and he performs his first miracle that day, turning water into wine. He honored his mother. And then maybe the most powerful image of this 
Uh, John chapter 19. So Jesus has lived his life. He's done his, done his teaching and healing and all that. And then he's been tried unfairly. He's been beaten and tortured and he's hanging on a cross, dying this gruesome death. And before he dies, it says this, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, and two other people named Mary, just to confuse us. And then it says, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, and that's John, scholars pretty much all agree that's John's way of referring to himself. So it's Mary's there with John. And he said to her, woman, here is your son. And he's not being disrespectful in, in any way by saying it that way. He's, he's saying, here's your son. And he says to John, Here, here's your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, this, was, this is a powerful moment because a widow in that culture was, was in a bad place. It was, it was a tough uh, life. So he's saying, John, take care of my mom. I, I, I put you in charge of caring for my mom. And he's saying, Mary, take care of my friend. You are family for each other now. And he, he kind of had some other things going on at that moment that could have distracted him, right? He's dying on a cross, and yet he takes the time and does this. Honor your father and mother. Honor your family. Okay, so that's one end of the tension. On the other end, though, we have this story, which is fascinating to me. It's recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this story, which tells us big deal. Okay, it's an important story. And uh, to set the scene, Jesus has been healing, he's been teaching, he's been doing all the stuff he was doing, and then he's, a large crowd has gathered, and he's, he's been facing these challenges and these, answering all these hard questions and that kind of thing. And this is what we read in Mark's version. It says, <clears throat> then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, hey, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Okay, and not just looking for him, like wanting to know where he was. Luke says they're wanting to see you. Matthew says they're wanting to speak with you. Okay, and then Jesus answers like this. He says, who are my mother and brothers? Then he, then he says he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Like Luke says it this way, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Matthew records it this way, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now I read that story with some level of like astonishment, right? I'm like, what? Like what just happened? Does that not seem kind of a little bit rude maybe? Even disrespectful? But we know that Jesus didn't sin. He is somehow in this moment still honoring his mother and his brothers. And so what is up with that? Do you feel the tension that I'm talking about? On the one hand, honor your father and mother. Jesus is hanging on a cross dying and he still makes time to care for his mom. And on the other end, there's this story where they're looking for him. They wanna see him, they, they need him. And he's like, no, uh, I'm busy. And P.S., tell my mom that these people here who I just met uh, if they hear and do the will of God, they're just as much my family as she is. I'm, I'm fascinated by this story for a lot of reasons, but one is because it's sort of my story. It's sort of the story of Aaron's and my life and ministry. 
it's, it's a story of a tension that we have struggled for 15 years to hold and to manage and to live in. On the one side, we have friends and family we love and we miss and we've, we never wanted to be far from. And on the other side, we have this story that we've been living out where God has called us uh, from Georgia to Mexico and then after those years to Maryland, right? And so there's a tension there. On the one side, every time I miss a family gathering, every time, every day that passes that my grandparents get a day older and I don't spend it with them, every time I long to be closer to my brother, every time my girls say, when do we get to see our cousins? There's pain and there's you know, some guilt sometimes and some second guessing and, and something is lost and sacrificed there. But at the same time, then when we, as we follow God and we work through that and we get a renewed calling to be here, there's, when there's a relational void, God always fills it. He fills it sometimes just through his spirit. He fills it oftentimes through you, through church family and something is gained. And there's this tension. And I know that I'm not trying to act like this struggle is unique to us. I was thinking about Ben, our lead pastor, and he's up in Minnesota. And in a couple weeks, uh, hopefully come, you know, refreshed from his time there, he will say another tearful goodbye to his parents and to his homeland. And he'll come back here to lead us as he's done for 20 years. Many people on the church staff are not from here. Every foreign missionary knows of this tension. And it's not just for pastors, right? Many of you know what I'm talking about. Anyone who has gone to a certain level of commitment in their discipleship of Jesus understands this tension to some degree. Saying no to something that your kids want, something you want to do for your kids because you have made a financial commitment to unleash love or to sponsor a kid. Waiting another year to build the deck or finish the basement or do whatever it is because you need those resources to be able to go uh, on a short-term mission trip or help someone else go or, or be a part of building that Habitat for Humanity house. Missing that ball game or that weekend at the ocean because of your commitment to serve regularly at church. It, there's an old saying, uh, and I think it's a, like a bad country song now too, but the, an old saying that uh, the two things we can really give our kids are roots and wings. And I think it rings true, but it's a paradox, right? They, they pull against one another. And it reminds me of this tension between, that sometimes occurs between family and mission. Sometimes they're perfectly aligned, but sometimes there's this tension. And, you know, we have been given these unique relationships in our lives. We're called to care for and be committed to our families. And at the same time, God often calls us to step out and to reach some new people with his love and to do something new and different. And it's, it can be confusing. It can seem really unfair. So what do we do? Well, again, I, I do not come today to hand out easy answers, but I will share in the few minutes that remain just a few of the things that I am learning uh, from Jesus on this, this topic of the tension, the tension that I'm talking about. And the first thing is this, we just gotta live in the tension. Don't, don't expect it to be a problem that's gonna be solved. And you gotta trust God in the, the messiness of that. It's gonna look different uh, for each one of us. Maybe some of you today are just like not really tracking with this. You're like, I, I don't really follow because you so far in your life, your calling 
from God has sort of perfectly aligned with, with proximity and closeness to your family. And if so, I just wanna say bless you. Be thankful for that. That's really cool. And just know that that may not always be the case. Be ready for the tension. And while it is the case, you need to be a welcomer. You need to open your doors. Uh, if you're a student, you're living at home, and you know there's this there's tension sometimes, right? And you need to know that right now, outside of some sort of a evil or abusive situation, part of your calling to obey God is is to obey your parents while you live under their authority. And there's tension in that, I know. You know, this is a seasonal and situational thing. For example, it's just a fact, I think, that if I didn't have a really great brother who's really responsible and who's called, his calling has kept him near to my parents and my grandparents, that I think it may be, my calling may be different. Our, our callings are intimately linked. He, he works for Chick-fil-A, so he does the Lord's work uh, six days a week, right? I'm a preacher, just work one day a week, so we got the whole week covered. But his, you know, his calling has allowed Aaron and me, because he's there, we can go do these faraway things God has, has pointed us toward. And seasons come and seasons go, and I just think we're all required to, to live in the tension and to be open to God's spirit to call us and to push us into to some new thing. The second thing I would say is that we need to honor our families. We need to honor one another. Back to that commandment, uh, expand it out to include not just your mother and father, but your whole family. The biblical concept of honor has to do with weightiness, the importance of those people and those relationships in our lives and just valuing them, the value of them, not, not only as humans, but in that unique connection that we have with them. Again, you're stuck with them, right? So your ministry begins at home and God will never call you to neglect or abuse your family. You're called to honor them. It's actually a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not called the 10 suggestions. It's the 10 commandments, right? And so this is maybe, this is easier for some of us, maybe if we've had great moms and dads, it's easy to kind of honor them. But um, I was talking to my friend, Scott, and he was reminding me of some of his story. I want to share a little bit of it with you. So when he was 13 years old in the summertime, his dad uh, took off, left him. And there was a whole story leading up to that of not great relationship and some tough stuff. But at age 13, that was when his dad said, I'm done. And he disappeared for 25 years. And so that came, those 25 years came with all the emotions and all the baggage and all the, all that comes with that. And Scott learned how to live without a dad. And then 25 years later, an aunt reached out to him and that paved the way for his dad to reach out to him. And Scott had a decision to make about whether to respond and how to respond to his dad. And he got some counsel from a Christian friend who said, well, you know, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road on all this Jesus stuff. This is where you have a chance to actually move toward forgiveness and reconciliation. And Scott asked his own son's opinion and he said, yeah, go for it. And so he did. And now he has a relationship with his dad again. And there's some healing taking place and it's, it's not perfect and it's messy and there, you know, there's a lot there. But 
Here's, I want to read you the last paragraph of an email Scott sent me talking about some of this this week. He said, as I'm writing this, sitting here on vacation with my family, thinking about my relationship with my own son, I can't help but notice what an awesome young man he is and how impressionable he is right now as he's trying to figure out who he is, where he fits into life and into the world. And what an honor and a privilege it is to be his dad. I'm also very aware that it is summertime and he is 13 years old, the same age I was when my dad left and how by the grace of God, his life will look much different than mine. And that brings me so much peace and joy and hope for the future. There's a lot we could talk about and celebrate right there, but I just wanna highlight this. It strikes me that these blessings are taking place in Scott's life because he decided to honor his father who by any by anyone's estimation didn't deserve it right but he did and in turn god is honoring him third thing i would say is this let your definition of family and your understanding of family grow and not shrink as you grow in christ in life, a lot of times, I think we can sort of go one direction or the other in terms of growing or shrinking our hearts and our minds. And I want to just challenge you to, to be a family that is open, an open door family. Be a inclusive and not exclusive family. Let that be your instinct. I got a friend and mentor named Leroy, and he says, uh, he talks about his Velcro kids, They had some of their own kids, they adopted some kids, and then they also just had this kind of a family that was magnetic and and people were welcome. And he said, some kids started coming around and they just stuck. And they sort of were, some of them were officially adopted, I think, some of them were unofficially adopted and he sees them as his kids and now they have their own kids and and, uh, his Velcro kids. Um, He also gave me what, what is one of my favorite definitions of family, I really like this. Leroy said, you know, family is just people who have made and kept promises to one another. That's what family is. You know, my girls are blessed. They have great uh, grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff. They also have a lot of church aunts and church uncles and church cousins. They have their Mexican grandparents and they have their Maryland grandparents. And I don't think those relationships diminish in any other any way those other relationships. I think they're just rich in that way. And, the, you know, the love of God is not some kind of a zero-sum game. It's, it's abundant. It's never-ending. We got to get over the scarcity thinking that poisons so much of how we live. And we just need to, I just want to challenge us all, love the people around you. Open your doors, pull up a chair, pull, uh, open up a seat at the table, literally and figuratively, for people to be a part of your family. You know, the vision for Mountain, part of the vision for Mountain is to be a church where you can belong before you believe. That's messier, but it's much more like what we see in Jesus. Fourth thing I would say is this, an eternal perspective changes everything for me on this. This is all for me riding on whether or not the resurrection is true, 
whether or not Jesus is actually coming back to reign, whether or not we really are eternal beings and this journey through this world is just a part of the story. Just straight up, a big part, a big part of why Aaron and I are willing and able to be far away from our families is not because of our faith, it's because of their faith. You know, they, they created us. They raised us. It's a cruel irony for them when they, when they really miss us that is their faith that launched us. We're always like, well, you, you made us this way, you know? Um, so maybe my calling would be different. I don't know if, if my family, my family's just a bunch of, a lot of them are just solid Christian people who know the Lord. Maybe my f- calling would be different if that weren't the case. Maybe I'd be called to be near them. Maybe not. Lots of people are still called to go somewhere that God sends them and to trust God, even if their family is not believers, to trust God with their example and to trust God to bring local influences around them. I'm just telling you that a big part of why and how I am able to choose to not spend precious time with my grandparents, with my parents, with my brother, my cousins, and to choose to say to them something like what Jesus said to his mother and brothers that day with my life is because I believe we're gonna have plenty of time together in heaven. We're gonna get to catch up. And right now, I am supposed to be about the urgent business of bringing as many more people to the party as I can. I think uh, that's how I'm supposed to use the time and strength given to me and I, th- I think we're all kind of called to do the math on that and to decide if we really believe in heaven or not. I sometimes take comfort, uh, even in the midst of this, the pain involved in this, the words of a good country song. It says, when I get where I'm going, there'll be only happy tears. I'll shed the sins and struggles I've carried all these years. I'm gonna walk with my granddaddy and he'll match me step for step and I'll tell him how I missed him every minute since he left. And then I'll hug his neck. Last one. The tiebreaker goes to God. Okay, we've all grown up uh, learning in baseball, the tie goes to the runner, to the runner, right? In soccer, uh, sometimes away goals are valued more. So goals that you score when you have had to go into a hostile environment. I just wanna say in any situation or relationship in our life and our faith, when there's tension between God's calling on our life and some other thing, even if it's family, the tie goes to God and his calling. If God's calling you to stay, stay. If he's calling you to go, go and trust him with your family and love your family the best you can in the process. When roots pull against wings in terms of mission, I wanna say go, go with the wings. You can always fly home for a visit. When past battles future, I think Christian people need to lean into the future. A friend reminded me this week that the best thing for every human relationship is kind of ironic that often the best thing for every relationship is usually investing in some other relationship. So like, if I wanna be a great dad, the best, best thing I can do there is to be a great husband. 
to their mom. And actually, if I want to be a great husband, the best thing I can do for that relationship is invest in my relationship with God and stay close to God. And it, it always progresses and it always ends up with the priority being that primary relationship with God. So I just want to say, you want to do what's best for your kids? You got a big decision? Really, it's not a relevant question. Quit worrying about what's best for your kids and obey God. That's, that's the relevant question. What would God have me do? And I promise you, he will not let your kids down. You wanna honor your father and mother, obey God. He will not lead you to neglect or mistreat them. You wanna have a great family life, invest in the family of God and bring your squad, your fam, your tribe along for the ride. Do this. And I think we're starting to, to get somewhere with, with what it means to be family. You know, you ask me, if you ask me what's the best definition of family, I'm just going back. The best one I can find is the one that Jesus gave. Family is those who hear and do the will of God. So we honor people when we obey God. Matthew chapter six, verse 33 is a life verse for me. And I think it should be, we should all memorize it. It just says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these, all these other things, right? Including whatever you need to love your family well, including the wisdom and the guidance and the provision and the surprising, amazing blessings of God in the realm of family, they will be given to you as well. I, I wanna trust that promise. I hope we can do that together. Let's, let's end with a word of prayer. Loving God, our father, our parent, our creator, thank you for for inviting us into your family, for drawing it up the way that you did. We thank you for the sort of the mystery and the mess and the beauty and the struggle that it is to be in families and to define that and to, to live well. And I, we just pray that you would guide us, God. And I thank you for church family. I thank you that we don't ever have to do any of this alone. Thank you most of all for our elder brother, Jesus, who came and walked among us and, and showed us the way. Continue, Lord, to guide us and show us the way, and, and we pray this in his name. Amen.